0: difficult for you to um, follow along with me this morning. I'm going to do a topical study regarding prophecy and uh, Jesus Christ's fulfillment of prophecy uh, from the Old Testament and uh, the New Testament verification of those things. But I want to start with the importance of prophecy and talk about a few things uh, to begin with. Um, So it's uh, nearly, uh, well, it's more than a quarter of the Bible, 26.3%. Some say 26.8, depending on how you uh, interpret it. Uh, 26 plus percent of the Bible is prophecy, predictive, telling us things of the future. Uh, That makes... uh, Prophecy in the Bible, very, very significant. If you're a student of the scripture, then uh, it is uh, of profound importance. A lot of people shy away from it. A lot of pastors uh, purposely do not teach on the subject. They have a perception that uh, prophecy will somehow make you crazy. One of the uh, lunatics, you know, you'll end up moving to Oregon and living in a log cabin or, you know, Waco, Texas or something weird. And uh, it's just not the truth. It, you know. It is intended to reveal to you the power of God's word. That's what prophecy is intended for. So the nation of Israel, uh, taken as one man, Abram, God changed his name to Abraham, gave him a promised son when he was extremely elderly. And through that sun, the 12 sons eventually came, which are the 12 tribes of Israel. They ventured into Egypt to avoid a great famine and went from 65, 70 people to millions in the hundreds of years that they spent there. Taken out of Israel by God, the hand of Moses led to the promised land into Israel and given specific commandments to obey, the Ten Commandments being part of that, but the entirety of the law in the book of Leviticus, uh, extending through Numbers and Deuteronomy, which we've been in a progressive study in. He tells them that as long as they worship him, they will continue to experience his blessing. If they turn their hearts away from him and begin to pursue the false gods of their pagan neighbors then God will remove his hand of blessing and the curses which are upon those nations will fall upon them. They do rebel against God. They abandon him and they begin to worship the other gods. They fall into idolatry. God sends his prophets repeatedly warning them that impending doom and judgment is coming to them. Ultimately, they're going to be taken captive by surrounding nations, and led away as slaves. That happens ultimately in 586 BC. But in the midst of it emerges the prophet Isaiah, no more powerful than Elijah or some of the other prophets, but he makes the challenge to the nation of Israel, saying to them, I'm paraphrasing, but why have you fallen into idolatry? God has blessed you and given you all of these wonderful things, and you have lost all of those things in abandoning worshiping him. You know, it should be a, you know, mathematical process of realizing I had these things. I abandoned God. Now I don't have these things. And the prophet challenges them, saying, go to your gods and see if they have the same power I do. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 21, he says, God speaking through the prophet Isaiah to the nation of Israel, to their false gods, present your case, says the Lord. Bring forth your strong reason, says the king of Jacob. Let them bring forth and show us what will happen. Let them show the former things, what they were, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them or declare to us things to come. Show the things that are to come hereafter, that we may know that you are God's. Yes, do good or do evil, that we may be dismayed and see it together. Indeed, you are nothing, and your work is nothing. He who chooses you is an abomination. The one that would follow after an idol, the one that would reject God and follow after man's wisdom. You know, what the world today is calling science. The one that would follow after the things of this earth. When you have the evidence within God, particularly there in that passage, he hangs his authority on prophecy and says, if they can tell you of the future, then go ahead and follow them. God is the only one that does this. You hear of prophecy today as though it's commonplace, and it's not. Not at all. Even those prophets that the world looks to, Nostradamus, Edward Casey, all these different, you know, tabloid types, less than 30% accurate, and that depends on how you, you know, determine what accurate means. Dr. Peter Stoner, a brilliant mathematician of the 60s, in charge of two universities' math departments. Remember the last time you were in charge of two maths? But anyway, so... He did the calculations in the late 70s to determine the odds that Jesus Christ would fulfill eight, eight prophecies from the Old Testament. Prophecies that were undeniable, and I do mean undeniable. The prediction that he would be born in Bethlehem, right? 700 plus years prior to his birth. Uh, The prediction that he would also come from Egypt, fulfilled when the angel told Joseph to take his family and flee into Egypt because Herod was going to want to kill the child. You know, betrayed by a friend, right? That doesn't happen to everybody. Betrayed to death by a friend. Betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Things that were undeniably historic fulfillments of Jesus. Uh, Stoner came to the conclusion mathematically that the odds that Jesus would fulfill eight of those prophecies was one in 10 to the 17th power. That's 17 zeros. One in 10 to the 17th power, right? You have a greater chance of winning the lottery several times in your life than fulfilling eight of those i always give the example when i have this discussion right i'll ask how many people in this room were born in bangor right two okay uh, how many people were born in bangor and then moved to Kanduskeg? zero right how many of these people were born in bangor moved to Kanduskeg, and then moved to newport from newport to heartland from heartland to Orrington, from Orrington to Lemoyne, right? Uh, My daughter Abigail has experienced all of these things, okay? There's only a few people in life that have ever lived in similar places, let alone fulfilled with exacting detail, eight prophecies, okay? So what I want to do this morning, because God hung his authority, his credentials on prophecy, I want to look at a handful of prophecies that Jesus Christ fulfilled. And I tried to stick to prophecies that don't even really require you to be a believer. These are historic things that happened. That, that, you know, whether you believe them or not, they happened. Okay. In creation, Genesis chapter three, Adam and Eve rebel against God, eat of the tree, fall into sin. God meets with them proclaims his judgment upon them, and we hear one of the first prophecies about the coming Messiah, Jesus, and what he's going to do. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, I will put enmity, hatred, between you, the serpent, and the woman, and between your seed, your offspring, and her seed, singular, capital S. He shall bruise your head, You shall bruise his heel, right? Jesus Christ, crucified on the cross, was put to death, but he was resurrected. So he was struck by death, but it was as though it it was a bruise to the heel. It was relatively inconsequential to him. Very significant, very important, okay? You've received some gifts. Yes, Christmas just happened, right? Some of those gifts are very special, right? Things that are rare hard to find, expensive, right? Always interesting when it's something that you really wanted and yet somehow was so difficult to acquire, either through its scarcity or its cost or whatever, and you get it, and you're like, my goodness, I can't believe I have this gift. It, it, it overwhelms you with the fact that you've received this. It's a real blessing, right? you got to understand how rare Jesus Christ is how incredible the gift given to us is. That's one prophecy. Fulfillment, Galatians chapter four, verse four and five. And when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law of death, is what he's referring to there, that we might receive the adoption as sons, that seed, Spoken of, that's an element of the fulfillment. Further element, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit, right? A virgin, we'll talk about that more. Hebrews Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood. He himself likewise shared in the same. that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, the bruising of the heel, right, the crushing of the head, the head of power that Satan had. The venom is in the mouth of the snake. Death is his ultimate power, crushed through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. Now, let me just clarify here for a second, okay? I say undeniable things. I start talking about resurrection. Some people go, oh, see, I don't believe in the resurrection. Well, good for you. Right? Thousands of years later, you're sitting here in your arrogance saying you don't believe in the resurrection. Roman senators who were never believers saw the resurrection, it wasn't just 12 disciples, you understand this? And they recorded it. They recorded that Jesus Christ, right? They were members of Rome who had put Jesus to death and Jesus came back to life. It was an astonishment to them. Flavius Josephus, Roman historian, wrote, There was a man named Jesus, if it be lawful to call him a man. Right. He understood the deity of Jesus Christ and he was very moved by it. The power of death was overcome by Jesus Christ. First John chapter three, verse eight. He who sins is of the devil. That's all of us. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of devil, sin and death. There's no greater gift than that. The fact that Jesus Christ has erased our sin also tells us that there is a coming day where the things he promises to us, we will awaken and we will not have sin in our lives anymore at all. That's a gift worth looking forward to, to wake up and never have the desire, never have the compulsion, never have the temptation again. Some of us long for that, right? We're desperate in our sin and we're saying, I wish, I wish I could stop this. Oh, the promise is there. The promise is there for today and the promise is there for our future also. Further prophecy, Genesis chapter 14, verse 18, a strange character in the Old Testament emerges named Melchizedek, the king of Salem. And as he emerges to meet Abraham, he brings with him. Bread and wine. And it says that he was the priest of God most high. Before the priesthood of Aaron is established. Before Moses gives the law. Melchizedek just appears in the Old Testament. And he's a wonder. Number one, we're told that he is a priest to God. We didn't even know there was a priesthood established. Suddenly there's a priest that emerges. Meaning that he's leading people in worshiping God. And before, strange... Before the Old Testament is established, he brings with him the elements of the New Testament. So remarkable. So remarkable. An individual. Of course, that's reflective Matthew chapter 26 beginning at verse 26 where it says, And as they were eating, this is the last supper, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks, gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remissions of sin. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Newly crushed grapes. Grape juice is what Jesus is. Telling us to look forward to. You know what makes us drunk if we consume wine and alcohol? It's the decomposition. It's the death in the alcohol. Uh, We're being called to a newness of life. A sobriety. There's a gift in that if you've never embraced it. That the Lord has delivered some of us unto. that We are very grateful for. Continuing in Genesis chapter 22 verse 8. And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. They were going up the mountain to offer to the Lord. And the Lord had asked Abraham to put his son to death in faith that God could resurrect him back to life. Those of us that know the story, there was a ram caught in the thicket. And they ended up sacrificing the ram. But there's a prophecy in this that doesn't read well in many of our translations, which rather than as it reads, it says in the original language, God will provide himself a lamb. Meaning God will provide himself as a lamb for the sacrifice. Remarkable statement, of course, Many applications, but John chapter one, verse 29, the next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. All of these things predicting hundreds of years, thousands of years prior to that are fulfilled in Jesus Christ's coming. Exodus chapter three, verse 13, then Moses said, indeed, And I have come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. uh, Moses had met uh, the Lord at the burning bush and God is saying, go and tell my people that I'm going to set them free from Egypt. And Moses is basically saying, who do I say is sending me in this? The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am. Who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me. From that point forward, God becomes known as I am. That's how the nation of Israel knew him. They called him Adonai, Jehovah, Jireh, many other things. But I am in particular held such significance that the Jews actually developed a method of speech in all of their language where they would never say I am. They would avoid it, literally in simple things. Where are you going? They wouldn't say, I'm going to the store. They would say, going to the store, rather than saying, I am going to the store. In their mind, that title belonged to God. To claim it unto themselves. If you think I'm going too far with this, if you think the Jews went too far with this, follow how this plays out. The the I am becomes reserved to God. If you dared say in their company, I am. Somebody's going to land on your neck verbally and correct you. That doesn't belong to you. That's blasphemy. For you to use that phrase is for you to either be calling yourself God or to be so disregarded about who God is that they consider you sacrilegious or blasphemous. I am belongs to God. Don't touch it was their frame of mind. With that being said, John chapter four, verse 25, woman at the well said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I am who speaks to you now. He assigned the I am to himself. He did it a few different times. Later, in John chapter 8, at verse 56, Jesus confronting the religious leaders said, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You're not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Before Abraham was, I am. They took up stones to throw at him. They wanted to kill him for that statement, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple going through the midst of them and so passed by. He claimed to be the I am. Remarkable statement. John chapter 18 verse 4, Jesus therefore knowing all things that would come upon him, he's in the garden of Gethsemane, he's about to be arrested, Judas is there, a contingent of guards from the temple and a Roman cohort of soldiers, which is more than 600 armed Roman soldiers are there to arrest him. He steps forward and said to them, who are you seeking? They said to him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now, when he said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. That isn't two or three guys. That's probably around 700 people crashed to the ground. That would give you quite an impression, wouldn't it? If, if the spoken word flattened a crowd of armed police officers, armed soldiers, Jesus flattened them to the ground. Then he asked them again, who are you seeking? You've got to know that there's a few in the crowd that are saying, don't, don't say anything. They just all got run over by two words, I am, in that moment. Whom are you seeking? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way. Understand that part of what he was doing was proving his strength, spoken word, knock a whole crowd of people down so that he can free the disciples from arrest. I am shows his power and then says, now let these guys go. They're guaranteed their freedom in that. Moving on, uh, looking at Exodus again, chapter 12 at verse 13 Now the blood of the Passover lamb shall be assigned to you on the house where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Literally the passing over of the death angel in each one of these households. We're told by Paul in the book of Romans chapter 5. Verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Boy, dwell on that. While we were still still sinners, Christ, he didn't wait for you to clean up your act, right? If you're here this morning and you're thinking, "Wow, this is kind of intriguing. I ought to go clean up my act and maybe be part of a church. (laughs) Just be part of the church. God will clean you up as you move along. The room, as I look around, is full of those people. If you think these were all squeaky clean, you got another thing coming, okay? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now justified, having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. There's wrath coming, right? Most of us are perfectly aware of that. God's judgment is coming. If we have accepted his shed blood like the blood of the Passover lamb, if we stay within the family of God, right, inside the house, if you stay inside the family of God, you'll be spared from the wrath. It's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful promise that the Lord gives us. Something that's a little more understandable for some of us Exodus chapter 12, verse 46. In one house, speaking of the Passover lamb, it shall be eaten. You shall not carry any of the flesh outside the house, nor shall you break one of its bones. None of its bones were to be broken each year that they had the Passover. And they sacrificed the lamb without spot or blemish. Do not break any of its bones. That was speaking of Jesus Christ's sacrifice, John chapter 19, beginning at verse 31. Therefore, because it was the preparation day that the bodies should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, speaking of those that were being crucified, the two thieves and Jesus, and that they might be taken away. Uh, When they crucified them, a big portion of what brought death, hastened death, was suffocation. They would hang in their arms, and as their body weight dropped in, their shoulders would cut off their arteries and their neck and their windpipe, and they would suffocate. They would drown. They would die. So as that death would come upon them, The convulsions within the body would kick in and they would press up with their legs and take the weight on their legs and the spike in their feet to relieve that. (coughs) To hasten the death, they would break their legs so that they could no longer push up. They would sink down into their arms and they would suffocate. (coughs) So they want to break their legs that they might be taken away. The soldiers came and broke the legs of the first... and of the other who was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. They did not break his legs, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear. And immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true. And he who knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. Thank you, Daniel. Not one of his bones shall be broken. Again, a prophecy that is very difficult to deny. Leviticus chapter 16 verse 27 says, The bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp, and they shall burn in the fire their skins, their flesh, and their offal, their entrails. So the sacrifice was to be taken outside of the camp. Matthew chapter 27 verse 33, Jesus fulfilling that, as the sacrifice, it says, and when they had come to the place Calgolgotha, Golgotha, that's outside the city, that is to say the place of the skull, that's where he was crucified. Hebrews <coughs> chapter 13 verse 11 says, For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Jesus, thanks, to you. Jesus was crucified outside the city to fulfill what was written in the law about the sacrifices taking place outside of the city. Genesis chapter 5, verse 24. Please stay with me in this. I know this sounds like a lot. There's a strong point within this that I want you to get. Genesis chapter 5, verse 24 Enoch speaking of uh, Noah's grandfather walked with God and he was not for God took him he literally disappeared from the face of the earth later second uh, Kings chapter 2 verse 11 you know that I often try to clarify scripture that's sometimes misinterpreted this is one of those occasions speaking of Elijah It says, when it happened, as they continued on and talked, this is Elijah and Elisha, that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. It's sometimes taught that Elijah was taken up to heaven in a chariot of fire. He was separated from Elisha by a chariot of fire, and he was taken up into heaven by a whirlwind. The point being, there are people in history who went directly to heaven without dying. God took them directly into heaven without them perishing. Acts chapter 1, verse 9. These are things reflective of Jesus Christ. When he had spoken these things, Jesus speaking, while they watched, that's the apostles, he was taken up. Off from the earth, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Now I'll read 10 and 11. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven we're going to see that and some other passages and significantly we're still looking for that to take place a prophecy regarding jesus as messiah psalm 8 verse 2 says out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger this was fulfilled in matthew chapter 21 uh Hundreds of years later, beginning at verse 14, then the blind and the lame came with him into the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna, which means save now, to the son of David, which speaks of his being a king, they were indignant enemies that were angry. And he said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants? You have perfected praise, referring back to Psalm chapter 8, verse 2. Similar, Psalm 16, verse 9, 11 uh, says, Therefore my heart is glad and my uh, glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol. Now, I just want to clarify. Jesus Christ's death. Uh, Sheol, uh, we uh, sometimes people fall, hear people falsely teaching that he went to hell. Okay? He went to the place of the dead. He went to the grave. Hades and Sheol, the place of the dead, and the grave. Uh, there is no indication in the scripture that he descended into fiery torment. Of hell, okay. Uh, some will quote Peter and say, "Well, here Peter says he who first, uh, you know, ascends is the one who first descended into the lower parts of the earth." Okay, so for clarification, Bible students, if it's over your head, don't worry about it. But if you want clarification on that, it specifically says that he who ascended, right? That would be Jesus from Earth back to Heaven, first descended from heaven to the lower parts of the earth, to be here with us on the earth. So his descent was to earth. He's the only created thing that has done that as far as becoming a man. Right? We didn't exist somewhere else prior to us coming to earth. Okay, there, there is that false teaching even amongst Christians. You know, there's this, grand pool of souls and god like sends a soul down to earth to live for a while and then that that isn't what the scripture says we didn't exist prior to becoming the being that we are only jesus christ did okay so just to clarify what the the descent and the ascent is referring to there psalm 16 again beginning at verse 9 you shall not leave my soul in Sheol, the place of the dead. Verse 10, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption, rot, decay. He shall show me the path of life in your presence in fullness of joy at your right hand Our pleasures forevermore. So hundreds of years before Jesus Christ came, died on the cross, was buried and resurrected, the psalmist was telling us that he was going to be resurrected. So this isn't something that Jesus just sort of popped on the scene and made up on his own. Stay with me, Acts chapter 2, verse 30. Therefore, being a prophet, knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that at the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up and of which we are all witnesses, of which we are all witnesses. Listen, some of that group, according to Paul, 1 Corinthians, were 500 people at once seeing Jesus Christ resurrected. So these aren't like the alien abduction stories, right, where your cousin wanders out of a cornfield, you know, after being drunk for three days. You well, know, there there are some things about this that are profoundly different. Profoundly different. I mean, it's just a convenient way to say why you didn't come into work. You know what I'm saying? When you just I was abducted by aliens, man. I was just anyway. If you have debate about that, I'd love to talk to you. I've got some evidence you need to look at. So Jesus Christ, right? Resurrected back to life. They were all witnesses of that resurrection. If you're not picking up on what I'm doing right now, right? Dr. Peter Stoner did the calculations for eight prophecies. Eight. How many have I covered so far? Okay. Right. Are you getting the picture here of how completely perfect this has to be in order for these things to take place? We're sitting here today having just celebrated the fulfillment, the most amazing fulfillment of one of those prophecies. And the the glorious thing is where we sit right now with the treasure of salvation in our hands is awaiting promises that are yet to come. Amen. That's what we're looking forward to. So that that one fulfilled prophecy, all of world history is marked by that. Right? All of time is marked by Jesus Christ's coming. And, and what lies ahead of us is going to be even more glorious than what is behind us. The future and the fulfillment of these things. Uh, again, same reference, Jesus Christ's resurrection, verse uh, thir- uh, 34 of Acts 13 and That he raised him from the dead no more to return to corruption. He wasn't resurrected in order to die again some other day. He has spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, he will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. So, you know, New Testament confirming that those Old Testament prophecies were in reference to the things we see fulfilled. John 20 verse 9, for as yet they did not know the scriptures that he must rise again from the dead. They didn't believe, they doubted uh, without understanding that he was going to rise from the dead. Now, stay with me, I'm going to give you a few more here, seven or eight more pages. Uh, Psalm 22 verse 1, the psalmist there makes this declaration, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far From helping me and from the words of my groanings words of jesus at the cross right as he takes upon the sins of the world and for the first time in eternity he is separated from the presence of god and he exists bearing our sin matthew chapter 27 verse 46 in about the ninth hour jesus cried out with a loud voice saying eli eli lama sabachthani that is my god my god why have you forsaken me later Psalm 22, verse 7. All those who see me will ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. This is David in Psalm 22, hundreds of years before Jesus Christ's crucifixion, speaking of his own affliction prophesying about what Jesus would go through. Matthew chapter 27, verse 39. Those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads. This is at the crucifixion, saying, You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests, also mocking with the scribes and elders, said, he saved others himself he cannot save if he is the king of israel let him now come down from the cross and he will and we will believe him he trusted in god let him deliver him now if he will have him for he said i am the son of god even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same things psalm 22 again verse 14 David said, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. Fulfillment, John chapter 19, verse 34. One of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out, showing that the pericardies had already uh, ruptured, that his heart had coagulated, and the platelets had separated from the plasma. He, his heart had melted like wax, and it poured out of his side. <clears throat> Psalm 22, verse 18. They divide my garments among them, and uh, for my clothing they cast lots. This is remarkable. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, John chapter 19, verse 23, took his garments and made four parts to each soldier apart, separating the different articles of clothing. And also the tunic. Now, the tunic was without seam woven from the top in one piece. Very valuable. They said, therefore, uh, among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it. Whose it shall be that the scripture may be fulfilled, which says they divided my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. They literally rolled dice to see who was going to win, played craps to see who was going to win Jesus' clothing, prophesied hundreds of years earlier, Psalm 22 verse 18, Psalm 30 verse 3, O oh Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave, you have kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit, so Sheol versus hell, right, so the place of the dead versus an eternal punishment, I went to the grave but I didn't go to hell, This Jesus God has raised up, Acts chapter 2, verse 32, of which we are all witnesses. We're hearing that over and over again. Psalm 31, verse 11. I am a reproach among all my enemies, but especially among my neighbors. Significant. This this takes a, a shift here. Stay with these prophecies. And I am repulsive to my acquaintances. Those who see me outside flee from me. Uh, Mark chapter 14 verse 50 then they all forsook, forsook him and fled those are his apostles those are his closest friends those are the 120 that followed Jesus continuously throughout his ministry Psalm 41 verse 9 even my own familiar friend and whom I trusted who ate my bread has lifted up his heel against me remarkable prophecy Right there, my own friend whom I had trusted. Judas was the treasurer of Jesus' ministry, according to the book of John. Closest entrusted friend, right? Judas betrays him. And the one who I ate bread with, how remarkable is it that John chapter 13, verse 26, Jesus had said to them, one of you will betray me. They begin to say, who is it? Is it I? They're questioning one another. Peter signals over to John and says, ask him who it is. John leans back and asks Jesus, who is it that's going to betray you? Jesus answered, John 13, 26, it is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. I mean, that makes the hair stand right up on the back of my neck. That hundreds of years earlier, David is saying, the one who will betray me is one who is my closest friend who I have broken bread with. And Jesus breaks the bread, dips it, and gives it to Judas. It says that immediately after that, Satan entered him, right? Scary enough that previously it says that John recorded that Satan had put it into the mind of Judas to betray Judas. But there at the Last Supper, he eats the bread right out of Jesus' hand. And the scripture says that that Satan entered him. And he left that room to go receive the 30 pieces of silver and lead the arresting officers to Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane. An amazing prophecy fulfilled right there. A little bit more. I just want you to stay with me. Psalm 69 verse 21 they also gave me gall for my food and for my thirst. They gave me vinegar to drink. Sounds disgusting, right? you a thirsty pal? Here, try this. Uh, most of you remember Paul Reynolds, right? He's a close friend. He's with the Lord now. Paul would frequently come over for dinner at our house. And my mom, being older, Always was close to Paul, wanted to bless him. He comes in the house. He's been working. Hey, would you like a drink of apple cider? Sure. She goes over to the fridge. She pours him this huge glass of apple cider, brings it to him, sets it down, nice, cold, chilled, you know. And he just slugs back like more than a third of this huge cup and then slams it down on the table and is just gasping for breath. And we're all like, what is wrong? and he can't speak for like 30 seconds and he finally says that is not cider <laughs> and then my mom's all embarrassed because she had broken the cider vinegar jug weeks before and grabbed the apple cider jug that was empty and poured it in you know how refreshing you know raw vinegar is when you just guzzle that down right poor paul <laughs> My friends, you know, these have given me gall and vinegar to drink. Interesting. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 34, Jesus being thirsty at the crucifixion, it says they gave him sour wine, vinegar, mingled with gall to drink. And when he had tasted it, he would not drink. Very significant to me. Should be significant to you. Okay. Gall. Is a massive anesthesia. Okay, so there's an alcohol element to this, the vinegar. And there is a massive sedation. As soon as that touched Jesus' lips, he spit it back out and did not want it at the crucifixion. He did not want to be sedated at the crucifixion. How remarkable is that? How remarkable is that. Here's something for you to research on your note. Please take note of this yourself, mentally or physically. There were seven things, seven seven things that Jesus said from the cross. You research them on your own, right? You're familiar with some of them, right? I thirst. It is finished, right? Father forgive them. They know not what they do. Seven things go to book of revelation and look where the seven bowls of wrath are being poured out on the earth as jesus was absorbing the wrath of god on the cross for our sake he made seven statements that directly correlate with the bowls of wrath that are poured out in the book of revelation he absorbed the wrath if you'll accept it you don't have to take it if you don't accept it then those bowls are yours And you're going to have to drink them full strength the same way Jesus drank his cup full strength, right? Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours be done. And he went to the cross, and they were basically saying, let us tame the pain of what you're about to experience. He realizes what they're doing and says, I don't want any of that. I'm going to drink this full strength. I'm going to take this cross without any sedation. It's a serious thing to consider what Jesus did for us. Psalm 129, verse 3. Strange prophecy, strange psalm. The plowers plowed on my back. They made their furrows long. So interesting when you consider Matthew 27, verse 26 Then he released Barabbas, the murderous criminal, to the crowd. And when he had scourged Jesus, making long furrows in his back, he delivered him to be crucified. So interesting, the things that pertain to Jesus in the scripture. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. He shall call his name Emmanuel, right? God with us. Then Mary said to the angel, Luke chapter 1, verse 34, How can this be, since I do not know a man intimately, sexually? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is born will be called the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 8 he will pass through judah he will overflow and pass over he will reach up to the neck and the stretching out of his wings will fill the breadth of your land O emmanuel isaiah chapter 1 verse 23 behold the virgin shall be with child bear a son and they shall call his name emmanuel which is translated god with us a few more Nevertheless, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, in Galilee, of the Gentiles, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, those who dwelt in the land of shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. The Roman soldiers loved to be stationed in Galilee. They often referred to Galilee as being so sinful that they referred to it as Galilee of the Gentiles. Because it wasn't Jewish in their mind. It wasn't kosher in their mind. And yet, that's where Jesus not only came to, but made his center of ministry. He worked out of Galilee. Matthew chapter 4 verse 12. And when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee, leaving Nazareth. He came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in regions of Zebulun and Nephtali, then it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, which we just read, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region, a shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I've been to this location, and I have looked at the house, that Jesus probably dwelt in. It was thought to be because of Christian graffiti that they found inside the house centuries ago, and Christian graffiti inside a Jewish home is unheard of. Uh, Recently, they discovered Roman tax records, and homes were taxed based upon the number of people that lived in the home. That home was taxed by Rome to Simon the Fisherman who lived with his wife and his mother-in-law. And then later, the taxation changed when a Jewish rabbi came to live with them. Remarkable. Remarkable what the scripture has told us and what we have confirmed. Speaking of Galilee, Isaiah chapter 9, where it had been promised that this light would come and dawn upon them. First miracle, right? John chapter 2 verse 1 on the third day when there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee remember that Mary tells them do whatever he says he says take take these water pots that were used for purification 20 or 30 gallons fill them with water they did they drew some of it out took it to the master of the feast he tasted the water it had been made uh, to wine verse 11 says this beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him there so I'm gonna skip Isaiah 42 6 and 7 John 9 11, Isaiah 53 8 Matthew 27 35 Isaiah 53 9 Matthew 27 57 through 60 Hosea chapter 11 verse 1 Matthew chapter 2 verse 13 and 15 Micah chapter 5, verse 2, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 6, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, Matthew chapter 21, verse 8, John chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. Got to skip those. And I'm going to get us right to Zechariah chapter 14, verse 4. Now, before I read that, I said Dr. Peter Stoner had done these calculations based upon nine prophecies. And the odds that Jesus Christ would fulfill nine prophecies was 1 in 10 to the 17th power. Remember that? I have taken this list of prophecies, many of which I have just skipped over from this exhaustive list that I have in my hands right here. That is 351 prophecies from the Old Testament that pertain to Jesus without doubt. There are many more that you could sort of squint your eyes and tilt your head and say, I bet that is talking about Jesus too. These 351 right here, Hundreds and thousands of years before Jesus came, these prophecies predicted Jesus' coming. This is Old Testament fulfilled in Jesus' coming in the New Testament. This doesn't even pertain to what Jesus told us about his coming, which is still ahead of us. If you've ever had any doubt about the Scripture, I would encourage you to set that aside and understand that when God said to the nation of Israel... Oh, so you're worshiping false gods now? Why don't you go to them and ask them about the future? And if they can tell you about the future, then go right ahead and worship them. If not, then why don't you repent of your sins and come back here and worship me like you're supposed to so that I can pour my blessing out upon you? The world has forgotten the great glory and the power of God. We sit in this room together honoring Christmas, the fulfillment of, of Jesus' Advent and His coming. Where we sit in time right now, all of this sermon is an advertisement from me to you for this Saturday's sermon. Right? Where we are going to talk or this Friday, this this Friday we'll talk about the prophecy that is coming in the year ahead of us. What is being fulfilled in front of our eyes on the daily news right now? We are so close to the end. And some of you have grown up in churches and you've heard this all your life and you're sort of calloused. And let me just say, that's all it is. You're calloused. Because where we are in time is the truth of Jesus Christ's fulfillment right in front of your eyes. How much time do you have? Maybe you've got your entire life left. Maybe. I don't think so. Definitely our children and our grandchildren. What the Lord promised lies directly in front of us. The things going on in Israel, the things going on in Europe, the things going on in America, all point, right? COVID right now, you guys, watch. The great effort of COVID that is going on right now is the the collapse of the world economy. Because they need to push us into a one-world money system. A one-world money system and a one-world government. One-world religion. All things predicted by Jesus. Jesus prophesied throughout his entire ministry. And then he sent the revelation to John. And told us what lies ahead of us. We need to have an infatuation with prophecy and what the Lord has revealed to us so that we might know. I'll close with just a couple thoughts. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 4. It says, And in that day, his feet, Jesus' feet, will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north and half toward the south. There are other prophecies in regard to that occurrence and when it will happen, and let's just be clear, it will happen. Okay. One of the world's leading archaeologists was working at one of the city gates in an archaeological dig, and he really shouldn't have been there because it was inside the Muslim quarter. So he just sort of snuck in, more or less. And during the dig, the ground collapsed underneath them, and he fell through about 16 feet and found himself standing inside a chamber. Inside the chamber was the old city gate underground, So when you're reading in Psalm and it says that the gate will rise, rise up, O gates, who is this king of glory, right? The suspicion is that when the Lord descends and his feet alight on the Mount of Olives and the mountain splits, that much of what is underground, because that's how they did things back then, just fill in and build over on top of layer upon layer upon layer. You can tell where the old cities are there. They refer to them as tells. There are these elevated places. Here's all of this land around them. And here's a why, because it was an ancient city that got destroyed in war and they built on top of it and destroyed and built an earthquake and they built and now there's this raised elevation plateau and it tells them that they should go dig there. Because it's an archaeological site. Jerusalem is the same way. So this statement that Jesus will descend and the Mount of Olives will split. We're longing to see that. We're waiting to see that. Acts chapter 1 verses 9 through 11. I've read you in broken portions. I want to read it to you in entirety. Now when they had spoken these things. Jesus speaking to the disciples. While they watched. He was taken up in a cloud, received out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, not a different Jesus, right? Not Vernon Howell, changing his name to David Koresh, declaring himself to be. The Messiah, taking everybody out to Waco, Texas to die in inferno of self-created prophecy, right? Not a new Jesus. This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go up. First Thessalonians. Here's your gift on Christmas. Chapter 4. Verse 13, you're familiar with it. Paul said to the church at Thessalonica, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. I want to pause on the word ignorant again. Because we have that idea of it being uninformed. I want to point out to you again, the root word is ignore. If you sit here today and you hear this message and you do not take it to heart, If you walk out the door without embracing it, then you are ignorant. Don't ignore what is being said here. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, which is how the Christians referred to those who have died, because they were waiting for them to be resurrected back to life. So for them, it was simply a matter of, in an earthly sense, they'd fallen asleep, and they were waiting for the awakening, the resurrection that Jesus Christ would bring to them. I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. And we are not without hope. Amen. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and we do, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Those who have fallen asleep into death, believing in Jesus Christ, are with him now. And he will bring them with him. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who sleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Verse 18. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. That's the gift. That's the closure. Is the fact that we have a great comfort in the things that are promised in the scripture belong to us. Christ is going to fulfill these things. You get to certain points and people are like, ah, I was with you right up until there. That's too bad. I wish you were with me all the way. Wish you could see these things fulfilled in your own life. The surrender, the giving in to the Lord. We talk about giving our hearts to the Lord. We talk about the Lord living in us. That's a very real thing. That's a very real thing. When God created Adam and Eve, he breathed his spirit into them and gave them life. And they became a living being. They were told, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of, the, of good and evil. Because, according to how it was written originally, in dying, you will die. They ate of the tree. They didn't drop dead. And some have said, see, it didn't kill them, which is what Satan implied. But what the Lord warned them of is you're going to die spiritually. In dying spiritually, you will die physically. Adam handed on his dead spirit to every one of his descendants. And every one of us that has ever been born has been born with a dead spirit. A dead spirit that is desirous of deadly things. Christmas. The more I want a particular food, the more I know it's bad for me. You know? Evidence I can eat Snickers until I pass out. And I despise hummus. Our dead spirit desires deadly things. Our dead spirit wants. That's why some of us are so compelled towards drugs, alcohol, things that are so deadly to us. Christ can deliver us from those things. He can give us his spirit all over again. right? Born again. Born once with a dead spirit. Born again when his spirit comes upon us, gives us new desires, and erases old ones. Right? If you've been a churchgoer for a long time, but you still have that whole thing going on where your original design is still mastering you, your sinfulness, then I say all you are is a churchgoer. You must be born again. You have to surrender your life to Christ. You need to relinquish your heart. The prayer is simple. I'm not going to ask you right now to stand and raise your hand in front of any, everybody, unless you want to. Unless you want to. But the prayer is simple. It's admitting, admitting that you're a sinner, recognizing that that's going to bring death into your life, recognizing that Jesus Christ came as the sacrifice and that his death is the replacement for yours. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to give you his spirit, and cause you to be born again as a child of God. You say, too confusing. One more time. Admit you're a sinner. Ask Jesus Christ to forgive you. Ask him to give you his spirit and cause you to be born again. Is that simple enough for us? You can do that as we stand. You can do that on your way home. You can do that after you've contemplated as long as you want to. But you must surrender yourself to Christ if you want to see this life. The greatest gift you could ever receive. Eternal life. Freedom from sin and death. What a blessing. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and we'll pray. If you need my notes, I'll just give them to you. If more than one of you needs them, I can make photocopies. Father we are very very grateful for your work in our lives we're very very grateful for christmas the celebration of your coming which is a promise of your future coming lord please accomplish your will in our lives help us to surrender to you help us to see your will being done in us and through us we trust you for what you have written And ask that you would help us to rely upon it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.